Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pick and Pod. Glad you're with us here today. Alongside my friend Andrew Posadas, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. And Andrew, we have a lot to react to in the NBA playoffs. Had a crazy game six last night. We're recording this on Thursday morning, September 10th. Had a crazy game six last night between the Raptors and the Celtics. The team with the best record in the NBA playoffs is out at the hands of the Miami Heat. And much more to get into across the NBA landscape. Andrew, how are you doing today? How have you been enjoying these playoffs over the last couple of weeks? Well, Jimmy, I don't want to toot my own horn, but watching the Milwaukee Bucks get eliminated after telling people, you know, a few weeks ahead of time to be weary and to be cautious with this Milwaukee Bucks team. I can't say I told you guys, but I told you guys. And as far as what we saw last night, I don't know how about how you feel. Obviously, we had Denver and Utah in that first round. But in my opinion, just team for team, this Toronto-Boston series has been the best series of the postseason so far. And when you think about four of these games, Jimmy, have been decided by 14 points combined. And last night, we get two overtimes. And I think if we can sum up the series, is that Boston had their chance to put this series away. They've had their chances and you can't allow a team that has championship grit like the Raptors to come back. And now in a pivotal game seven, I don't know how you go against the defending champs in that situation. It's funny. And we'll get into the bucks later. Um, and Andrew, you can get more jokes off on certain individuals who may have um, maintained faith in the bucks over these past few weeks as they've looked absolutely terrible, but um, it's interesting when you look at this Raptors Celtics series. So I, I made no, I love the Raptors. I love Nick nurse personal opinion. I think he's the best coach in the NBA. And I know that's something that, you know, would get me ratioed on Twitter. Heck it probably already has, but yeah, you know, the way he adjusts in series is really, really great. Looking at it team for team. I don't know how you feel about this. I think the Celtics is a better team. They've got, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and, Kemba Walker as like a number two, number three option. So they've got more options to turn to. But it's, it's like you said, Andrew, uh, in the words of the great Houston Rockets coach, Rudy Tamiya, never underestimate the heart of a champion. And that's what we saw from the Raptors last yeah. night. And, and can we just talk about the last two minutes of that game? The shot making across the board on both ends of the floor was unbelievable. I mean, you had threes going left and right. Uh, there was a crazy, you know, minute and a half sequence of just shot after shot where, you know, Mike Breen was going absolutely crazy on the broadcast. <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. It was just awesome shot making. And I, I, one of my concerns going into the bubble and after this long layoff was quality of play. And I think a lot of people felt that way. But that has not popped up. If anything, if anything – in some ways, it's maybe been a little bit better. But the end of that game last night was so wonderful. I think last night was the best game in the bubble playoffs or regular season. That was tremendous stuff. And the Raptors have arguably the best offensive player just struggling mightily through this series. And Kyle Lowry and other guys are picking up the load. But they might not be the better team in this series. But 
you cannot possibly overestimate the toughness and the grit that they have shown in this series, whether it was game three, that last second shot, really last half a second shot by OG Ananobi, or game six last night with their back against the wall. The toughness that they have shown and the poise that they've had to force a game seven, despite the fact that they're probably not the better team in this series, I think, Andrew, that's very impressive on their part, and it reflects extremely well on the culture they have up there. Yeah, and Jim, as much as, much as I doubted Milwaukee's chances to make it to the finals, I had the same doubts about Toronto just because they don't have that man wearing that number two jersey there anymore. He's over there with the Clippers making his way to the conference finals. But again, without that closer, without Kawhi Leonard, who helped them attain their first championship last season, hit that big shot against the Sixers. We all know that. But without him, I was unsure if Pascal Siakam could rise to the occasion in the postseason. We saw him take steps in the regular season. We've seen his stats go up. But again, right now in the postseason, he's averaging about 16, 17 points per game. That's not going to get it done for your best player. And credit to Kyle Lowry, because Kyle Lowry has been the driving force. He, he's kind of like that he, – he's that – creature that won't die in the horror films he just keeps coming back and he keeps coming back he's michael myers apparently but uh, again he's been he's been able to just lead and be that catalyst for this team and i have to give them credit they've stuck around in this series when they could have easily been down 3-0 if og ananobi doesn't make that shot in game three and for boston you're right they do have the better talent at the top when you have jason tatum and jalen brown two of the best two wing young players in this league and two of the top emerging stars in this league. You have that, as you mentioned, Kemba Walker is your third option. They don't have Gordon Hayward. He is out. So if Gordon Hayward's here, then you have maybe four of the best six or seven players in the series, aside from Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. So for Boston, again, as I mentioned, they've had ample chances to put this series away. But as you mentioned, you cannot underestimate the heart of a champion. And for Toronto, just because Kawhi isn't there doesn't mean that they still are devoid of that championship experience and grit. They've shown that, and Nick Nurse has been able to adjust. And now it's up to Brad Stevens. What can he do? Because right now, Kemba Walker is getting exposed on defense. They're switching on him. They are keying in on him to take advantage of his undersize. And for Brad Stevens now, You've made some good adjustments, but now it's time to make the ultimate adjustments if you're going to move on and have a date with the Miami Heat in the conference finals. Andrew, if I told you going into this series that Pascal Siakam, a guy who shoots 36, 37% from three, would have shot it four for 31 from three-point range, would you have told me that the Raptors would have forced a game seven? Absolutely not. I would have told you, all right, well, I guess they swept, right? That's a, that's a sweep, not even a gentleman sweep. Because, again, if, you're, if your best player can't give you 20 points per game in the postseason, you would think it's an early exit, right? I would tend to think so. And with the load that Kyle Lowry carries on both ends of the floor, by the way, which is really impressive, he's a guy who's really stepped up. As you said, OG Ananobi, too, offensively, we referenced him with a huge shot in game three to win that game for them. So Raptors forcing a game seven. Let's look ahead uh, to game seven. That is going to be on Friday night at nine o'clock in prime time. I, I have a hard time assessing this because you've got, you know, two good teams. I think the Celtics are a little bit better, 
But as we've been talking with the Raptors, you know, they've looked dead at various points in the series. After game five, I was like, okay, this is over. After game one, I was thinking, oh, well, they're in trouble. And I've learned my lesson with the Celtics and calling a series over after game one, CC Paul Pierce. But I think <laughs> there's something to be said for the Raptors here. So, Andrew, how are you looking at this game seven? I'm interested to get your perspective because I'm not entirely sure, you know, which way to go on this because I just – it's just a, it's a tough call. I think Boston's better. I'm probably going to pick Boston. But I also feel like, hey, maybe I'll regret this at some point down the line. I mean, I want to pick Boston, and I picked Boston to win this series. But, again, after Toronto was able to come back and tie it at two apiece, even though Boston won game five pretty convincingly, I just wasn't sure if they could actually close the deal. And we, we saw last night that they weren't able to when, when they had chances in, in, um, in regulation, in the first, in the second overtime, they were in positions to win, couldn't get the job done. So, I, I mean, when I think about it, eight of those 10 starters last night played over 50 minutes, Jimmy. So we don't, we know that both teams are basically spent. They're exhausted. They've given everything they can in the first six games. So now it's who has that will, who wants it more, because it's going to come down to that. And it, you have to give the advantage to the Raptors. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Boston has shown that they have lapses down the stretch of these games. And although they've been able to win three, they've also given up three games that they should have won themselves. You could argue that all six of these games, Boston had an opportunity to win and they either closed the deal or they blew it to Toronto. So you could think about it from that perspective. And for Toronto, now you got to be thinking, hey, we were dead in the water. If OG doesn't make that shot, we're down 3-0. But yet here we are tied three games apiece after everything that's happened with Pascal Siakam underperforming. We are still here and we have an opportunity to get to the conference finals. And that motivation of people – saying that they can't make it far without Kawhi Leonard. People like myself, I think that plays a part in it as well. So I have to lean towards the Raptors. They have the momentum in my mind, and I think they have more of a motivation to win this game. For Boston, that's a young core, and if they do, that'll be three or four years, I believe, that they're in the conference finals. But again, they're still a team learning how to win with that young core. So I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto took that game seven. You know, when you read that stat about however many guys on the Raptors playing 50 minutes, I think Mike Budenholzer just shuddered. And we'll, we'll get into that momentarily. Uh, and, and Andrew, I'll give you ample opportunity to cloud on the bucks, but um, I'll go the opposite way here. I, I'm going to take Boston. I know they've had trouble closing out games. Um, I, I was saying the same thing this time last week about the Rockets. And what wound up happening in that game seven was the Rockets just had a little more down the stretch than the Thunder did, particularly offensively. I mean, the, the, you know, Lou Dort went for 30, which is nothing against Lou Dort, but that was part of the strategy kind of. So I think I'm going to take Boston. Um, by the way, shout out to Marcus Smart last night. I had a triple double blossoming into it, like a really good Messed around player. and got a triple double. Yeah. And <laughs> as Ice Cube would say. Um, but um, I, 
think with the talent that Boston has, they've got the best player in the series, I think, in Jason Tatum. Uh, and I think, I think they'll have enough to close it out. Now, the, the questions you raise about late in games and how much they've struggled, game three, game four, game six, they've had chances in all of those games to win, and they haven't done it, and that's concerning. But I've got six games of sample size with these two. I think Boston's better. I think the one thing that I'm sort of thinking about is, you know, Toronto's best offensive player has played horribly at that end. I mean, they've got it figured out, right? Because Pascal Siakam has two moves. He's going to drive to the rim, do the spin move, or he's going to shoot the three. And they've, they've got it figured out, right? So, you know, if he figures it out a little bit, which, you know, to, to vary his offensive game after however many games between regular season and post is going to be hard. But, you know, if he has a better game, that's probably a bonus for Toronto at this point, as crazy as that is to say. Um, I just – I think Boston's better, and I think that's what it comes back to to me. And I might be wrong on that, uh, but talent-wise, I have a hard time going up against the Celtics and what they can do. And as you said, without Gordon Hayward, and, you know, who knows if he's going to be back and if so, when, if that's at some point during the conference finals or if they make it to the NBA finals – I don't know, but I think the Celtics have just a little bit more talent and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think it'll be a really good game. Um, and I think the Raptors are going to stay in it late, but I, I'm going to go with the more talented bunch here and I'm going to take this. And I would say, Jimmy, yeah, Boston could easily win that game. They are the more talented team, but I think the X factor is going to be Kemba Walker. He can't shoot two of 11 and only give you five points. And he played 52 minutes last night, so he's the key. If he's going to get picked on on the defensive end and the Raptors are going to look to take advantage of him as a matchup, then on offense, he's got to be willing to give it back to them because if not, you know, they can't get that amount of production from their third best player. Kemba Walker is too talented offensively, so I think he's really the key because I think Tatum and, and Jalen Brown will show up. But Kemba Walker, he, he can't have another dud in a game seven. So we'll see how it goes. I actually – the way it's going, kind of like the Heat's chances either way. Um, I might be crazy to say that, but I think they match up pretty well with both of these teams. And I think I think they can easily win that series, especially with a little extra time off now, especially given the cushion that their series ended at five and the Raptors series is going to seven. But now, Andrew, I get to say these three words. I was wrong about the Milwaukee Bucks. I rode that trade all season long, which has been 11 months now, that the Bucks were going to win the title. I was convinced uh, for the first five months of the season, I'm sitting here saying, you know what, things look really good here. And then July 31st came along, and they looked like a different team, almost as though the Monstars took away all of their talent. <laughs> and they got to the playoffs. They stumbled through the series against the Magic, had stuff very justifiably going on off the court. And then against the Miami Heat, lost some close games, uh, got beaten in the end pretty soundly, lost Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is perhaps the MVP of the league at the end of the series. 
And Andrew, um, you were right all along. You were high on the heat. You were low on the bucks. And uh, your uh, prophecy here has come to life as the heat take down the bucks in five games. And for the second straight season, send the NBA's best record home prematurely. Listen, Jimmy, you weren't the only one that picked the bucks. Everyone loved the bucks for some reason. And, and I didn't understand it. I don't know if you remember, but we had an interview with Rob Parker when we were still in studio for one-on-one. And that's where we kind of made our picks ahead of the season and again, you did pick Milwaukee. I don't think Rob Parker picked Milwaukee. I picked the Sixers, so it shows to you what I knew back then, what I thought could have happened. But again, at that time, I just wasn't sold on Milwaukee. I mean, that's a team that went up 2-0 on the Raptors last year and then lost four straight. And everybody brought them into this season thinking that they were head and shoulders above everyone in the Eastern Conference when they haven't proven diddly squat. And so for me, Coming into this bubble, this is something that I expected from Milwaukee. I expected a letdown. Even if we still had the regular season going and there was no shutdown, I expected in late May to, to see the Bucks struggle and to see them maybe be exposed to a team like a Boston, like a Miami, maybe even Toronto, or if Philadelphia was ever able to, to get their own stuff together. But, but again, I thought they could have been had in the postseason, and, and I think you saw it here in the bubble. I mean, if they really were – that team, and if they really felt like they were the alpha squad, they would have came into the bubble with everything going on fire, ready to roll, and a steam roll through the East and into the finals. But again, this is what happens when, you know, a team isn't as good as they've shown in the regular season. Chris Middleton is a really good player. And you know what? He earned his stripes in this postseason. He was fantastic when they needed him to be, especially when Giannis went out. But again, he's going to be getting paid superstar amount of money and I just don't know if he can live up to that and be the second best player on a championship team as far as other guys you can't expect guys like Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe uh, guys like Dante DiVincenzo Pat Connaughton I mean those guys aren't going to consistently give you ample production and I think the team was built well but not built well enough for Giannis to kind of bring him over the over the hurdle to get to the finals but Jimmy Giannis, his game has to get better. He can't shoot the ball. He doesn't even want to take mid-range shots. He's not comfortable at the free throw line. He can't lead anybody to a championship if his game doesn't get any better. And again, it's like I said on one-on-one a month ago, and me and Andrew Galata both agreed that Milwaukee was not good enough to go to the finals. And Michael Calamari, if you're listening to this, Mike, I told you, and you thought I was going to be wrong, but I told you. And again, I don't want to harp on the Bucks. Obviously, it's a disappointing way to end the season. But, Jimmy, there's a lot of questions left to be answered in Milwaukee. And the first one has to be, is Giannis going to stick around? Yeah, and I think, you know, I watched his post-game press conference, even though he didn't play in Game 5. They had him, you know, on Zoom from the bubble. He said some things that should be encouraging for Bucks fans. Um so I'm going to go ahead and say that he actually does stay because that's just kind of what my gut's telling me based on what he said. I will say LeBron said a lot of the same things in 2009 and 2010, and he still left. So it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to stay. I've always held that if Giannis ever shot league average from three, that he was unguardable. And Agreed. he's pretty close to unguardable right now, but – 
a lot of coaches that we talk to, and Stephanie Gately from the Fordham women's basketball team says this all the time, uh, especially the coaches who are really good at defense, always say, I'm willing to give up something. And when you're playing Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's the three. And league average from the three-point line this past year in the NBA is about 36%, and it's been hovering around that mark for the past you know, five or six years as teams shoot the ball a little better. Giannis, the last two years, and he's probably going to be back-to-back MVP, he shot it 25%, actually more like 26%, and 30%. Now, he's improved, but it's not a part of his game where – you know, it could really help him, right? Because his whole game is oriented around driving to the rim, being bigger than you, having a longer wingspan. And if I have to, I'm just going to dunk it over. you, And that's fine. But that would be helped by defenses having to press up on him from the three-point line, right? Because a guy like Damian Lillard, you have to pick up from half court. Steph Curry, same thing. So it doesn't even necessarily mean that they're going to always take shots from that point. It means that you're going to have to pick him up from that point, and then he could drive around you and either get to the basket or kick it out to the corner or something like that. Giannis is not at that point, and defenses are not going to respect that three-point shot unless he shoots it better. And, you know, we saw it with the Heat. They would throw bodies at him at the rim, but they were going to give him that walk-up three-point shot. And until he is able to shoot it better, until he is able to make that a legitimate threat in his game. Nobody's saying he's going to be, you know, one of these three-point marksmen from outside, like his teammate Brooke Lopez has become all of a sudden, which I find really funny. <laughs> but, Lopez, brother. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's insane. But nobody's saying that's going to happen. But I don't think asking him to shoot like 35% from three is too much to ask because I think that's the next step in his game. But right now, defenses aren't going to respect it. One, because they can't because if they press up on him, it's game over. And two, because there's no reason to because their only chance guarding against Giannis is him taking a bad shot. And right now, the three-pointer in his arsenal is a bad shot. And that's the problem he's going to have until he improves it. No, and you just said it best right there. Nobody's asking him to shoot sub 40% and be a marksman from beyond the arc. If he can just shoot 35%, that's all you can ask for. That keeps the defense honest. But again, he's a career 28% three-point shooter. That's just not going to get it done. And aside from that, we saw he kind of has the yips at the free throw line. So his fundamentals, he needs to get into the lab and take this offseason to really work on his game and work on all three levels to be the best player in the league that we expect him to be once LeBron James decides to retire and leave the NBA. Yeah. And we could do, you know, post-mortem on the bucks for hours and a lot of things went wrong. I think the biggest issue they have is right. You need stars to win in the NBA, you know, and, and there have been maybe some exceptions where more ensemble casts can get, get it done. But at the end of the day, you need at least a couple of stars. And we've seen that in the past few years. The Bucs have one. I don't think Chris Middleton is two. And he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But I don't see him as Robin, if you will, on a championship team. And I know that's maybe more narrative-based. But even with the way he played in the bubble, he's not capable of fulfilling that responsibility. I think we both agree on that. The, the worry I have for the Bucks is I don't see how they can get significantly better. I think that's the problem 
that they're going to have. The name that I've seen bandied about, you know, on social media and Kevin O'Connor wrote a, a column in the ringer yesterday is Chris Paul. The problem is they're going to have to trade significant assets for him, particularly in the way of young players, which they really don't have right now, other than maybe DiVincenzo. They don't have really appealing young assets the teams are going to look at and say, okay, I'll take two or three of those for, you know, a 35-year-old veteran in Chris Paul who's still a really good player but on the downside of his career. So then you have to get a third team involved, and then maybe you have to give up more, and then maybe you have to give up a couple years worth of, of draft picks because then you don't have any other assets to give. So this is the problem I have with the Bucks. They're tied to the Middleton contract, which is brutal. If they want to keep Giannis, they're going to be tied to a huge contract there as well. And then how do they get better from that when you're paying those two guys so much money? I mean, they're either going to have to draft really well or get creative because I don't see a lot of ways they can go up from here. And I also think that's irrespective of who's on the sidelines because a lot of people have pinned this on Mike Budenholzer and – Believe me, he's done some very questionable things. But I, I, in a lot of ways, I still look at this team, and particularly now as I look at it, and I go, you know, they're not good enough now. And I don't see how they make significant upgrades to become a championship-level team because they're right off it right now. But I don't see how they can make a move to make, to make that one last step and go get a title. Two things on Milwaukee. One, Jimmy, once upon a time, they did have a young emerging point guard who would have been crucial in this series against Miami. His name is Malcolm Brogdon. They let him walk to Indiana in favor of giving Chris Middleton that big contract and extending Eric Bledsoe for whatever reason, especially when Malcolm Brogdon, I believe, only signed for $90 million with Indiana. So it could have been worked out. Milwaukee just chose to go into a different direction. And two, I really think the window for Milwaukee is going to close quickly starting next season. When you think about the fact that Brooklyn is coming back with Kyrie and KD, Boston is not going anywhere. Toronto has just showed that they're not going to go anywhere for the foreseeable future. We're seeing Miami emerge. If Philadelphia could ever get it right, teams like Indiana, they're going to be getting better. So for Milwaukee, this might have been their best shot at getting to an NBA Finals and perhaps winning a title. But moving forward with, with the teams that are coming up in the Eastern Conference, I, I just don't see it. And maybe Milwaukee and Giannis, or excuse me, Giannis is better off looking for greener pastures elsewhere. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like I said, and, and they've made some bad moves, as you very correctly pointed out. But they are not going to have the cap room. Like Fred Van Vliet is out of their price range now. And it's nothing against Fred Van Vliet, very fine player, but you know, not even that type of guy. I don't think would necessarily put them over the edge, and that's what is completely out of their price range. So they are going to have issues, right? I mean, you're looking at Middleton. Chris Middleton's making thirty-three million dollars. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Thirty-three million. I mean, that is some and. By the end of his contract, he's going to be making nearly $40 million a year, Jimmy. That, that, if he doesn't become – if he's not a perennial all-star who's averaging at least 25 points per game, he will never live up to that contract. I'm sorry. He just won't. And I don't think any team right now would be willing to take on that contract 
despite how good Chris Middleton has played in this bubble, I don't think they could even trade Middleton if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at some of this money. By the way, they have $114 million or so committed into just eight players, um, which, is, which is fine, but it's, it's the eight players they have it wrapped up in. Right, Eric Bledsoe, $17 million. Brooke Lopez, $13 million. George Hill, almost $10 million. I mean, this, is, this stuff adds up. And it's not against any of those guys, Andrew, but it's, you know, you put money in these people. And Brooke Lopez is a good player, but you got to pay him. And that money going into a guy like him, I mean, if they're going to make a trade, you know, John Horst in that front office has done a good enough job, I suppose, building up this roster. If they're going to have to make it, if, if they want to make a trade, they're going to have to get creative. You know, if it is a team like OKC and sell them on the idea of picking up some of these older assets, which it seems in what's come out this week about a team like that, they, you know, let go of Billy Donovan, which was more of a mutual parting of ways because they're about to go into a rebuild again, apparently. It doesn't seem like they're going to be able to be sold on that because they've got bigs and, you know, Adams and Noel. So then you got to get a third team involved and then you get a third team involved and they're going to pick off more assets. I, I don't see how they're going to get significantly better. And, and part of that's bad decision-making. And, you know, they, they tried to, to replace uh, Malcolm Brogdon with Wesley Matthews, which was like a nice pickup, but it's not the same level of player. And I, I just don't see how they can get significantly better. People are saying change the coach and, and trade this and go out and get Chris Paul. But I, I don't see how that stuff's going to, one, happen, and two, actually make the team – significantly better Chris Paul would but I got a bridge to sell you if you think they're going to be able to get him without either paying a significant price or at all I mean I would just say this uh Milwaukee and Philly are kind of in the same boat as two teams who are strapped financially with some bad contracts and who might be stuck with this team for the next couple of years and have their ceiling be severely hindered because of some of the contracts that they have and because they might not be able to trade them and get new pieces. So I would say that for Milwaukee, for teams like Milwaukee and for Philadelphia, they are going to have to work some magic if they want to retool and rebuild their team to continue contending in the East. Yeah. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Um, and by the way, Eric Bledsoe last two playoffs has been a horrid player offensively. And they like chose borderline unplayable. That's how bad he's been shooting it. They could have had Malcolm Brogdon. I'm sorry. I, I can't feel sorry for the Bucs. So they, they could have had Brogdon and they let him walk for nothing. I mean, other guys who were free agents, like, at the guard spot. I mean, Patty Mills, like, Dennis Schroeder. Again, nothing against those guys. But that's not, that's not moving the needle. Like, Derrick Rose, even. I like Derrick Rose. Don't get me wrong. But that's not going to move the needle for you towards the title. So, good stuff, Andrew. A lot of good stuff happening in the NBA. Conference finals about to get started. So happy we get to say that. Andrew Posadas, Jimmy Sullivan, Thomas Aiello, our producer, doing a great job. This has been Pick and Pop. See you next time.